Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black, and my co-host, Cole Miller. Now, Cole, we were already getting ready to record this podcast. We are taping this on Wednesday, January 13th. We've quite literally been dropped with a bombshell right before we were doing the prep work and getting ready to record. Kevin, I believe you have the details as to what that bombshell actually is if you would mind enlightening cole and i as well as the rest of our audience with information i'm sure that everyone's probably seen on social media at this point but details have still been trickling out since we've been putting this podcast together to get ready to record for an instant reaction so if you could do the honors kevin yeah as of right now with a trade regarding james harden brooklyn is acquiring james harden and the 2024 second round pick from the cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, Houston is acquiring the Cavaliers' 2020 first-round pick via the Bucks. The Brooklyn first-round picks in 2022, 2024, and 2026. There's going to be pick swaps via Brooklyn in 2021, 2023, 2025, and 2027. Uh, Karis LeVert, which is then reportedly traded to the Pacers for, for Victor Oladipo, and that trade package is not entirely uh, out in the open yet. Uh, Dante Exum. Uh, Rodion Kurux, and then Cleveland is acquiring Jared Allen and Turin Prince. That is one hell of a four-team trade, Cole. What what are what are your first thoughts on? I, I guess we can start with James Harden going to Brooklyn, but you can also expand on more of your thoughts about the whole four-team package as a whole. Oh, uh, where do we start? I mean. Brooklyn's had its own saga going on with Kyrie right now, so to add James Harden into the mix is quite interesting. They really should start, you know, doing a hard knocks or something like that to follow this team around. Um, I love it for Indiana. I think Karis going there is really nice for that team. Get TJ Warren healthy and see what they're all about. I think they're going to really be pushing the rest of the East for that top spot. Um, you know, if you're the Cavs, you're kind of just latching on and getting assets as you continue to, to retool and rebuild. Uh, I don't know who you like the most for this trade, and you know what do you think of Harden in Brooklyn? Well, so the 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 Harden to Brooklyn move obviously has been the most talked about out of the trade destinations. Our our hometown Philadelphia 76ers being second on that list. I, I'm not quite sure that the Harden trade definitely puts Brooklyn like firmly at the very top of the East. And I only say that because they did give up a lot in this trade, like giving up Karis Levert, giving up Jared Allen. Like those are two crucial pieces of depth that that team was able to feature along with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving that they won't be able to rely on anymore. Obviously going separate ways now in turn, like, yeah, you bring in James Harden, but you're also losing other guys that can play behind those three, and we also have to remember that Spencer Dinwiddie is out for the season, so Brooklyn doesn't have him as kind of like a fourth guy either. So it's pretty much it's those three guys. You're hoping that DeAndre Jordan's going to be able to continue to play major minutes at a high enough level to justify giving up Jared Allen in that deal, and you're also likely looking at Timothy Luau Cabarro maintaining his consistency that he's shown over the last few games, being an athletic threat on defense, shooting the ball from deep. Um, and you're going to be asking more out of Joe Harris as well. I understand he had that great game against the Sixers where he had 28 points, but 
Um, how how likely is it for him to be able to to sustain that high level of play to continue to add to the depth that Brooklyn would have behind those three stars? Because they don't have that ensemble cast of veterans, at, at least not in the same sense that you saw out of like some of those Miami Heat Miami Heat teams with LeBron, D Wade, and Chris Bosh. They don't have that same level of supporting cast. At least I don't think so. I could be wrong about that, Cole. If you have a different opinion about that. Um, so I, I'm, I, I, we have to reserve judgment on what this definitely does for Brooklyn. We're, we're going to have to see this play out for a good chunk of the season before I think we can give a proper judgment call one way or another. You mentioned Indiana getting Karis LeVert. That is my favorite part uh, of the entire deal. I think Houston getting all the picks that they did, they're clearly going into reset mode. Um, getting Oladipo back is nice, at least for this season. It allows John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins to still kind of compete for something and not just be involved in these tank fest games. So that's really nice for them and, and something that those two, quite frankly, deserved with everything they've gone through um, and, and, and their personal lives as far as coming back from injury, wanting to compete for something this year, being healthy, finally getting a chance to play with each other since they did at Kentucky. It's a really nice gesture for them. Um, but there's not really too much more to say about Houston. But Karis LeVert, uh, Cole, that, this Indiana team has already outperformed a lot of people's expectations this year. Now, when we did our NBA preview for the East, um, I kind of highlighted I really didn't think there was going to be a drop-off for Indiana, as some were, were predicting. I thought that they would pretty much stay course, if, if not improve. Well, they are going to. They already have improved, at least in terms of their record point, where they were last season at this point compared to now and they're just getting better they're 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 cashing in an asset in victor oladipo that it was pretty much being thrown around for a while now that victor didn't really want to be there anymore he was going to certainly explore his options in, on the free agent market after the season um indiana kind of knew that he wasn't necessarily gelling the way he should have been with the team so you're essentially upgrading that asset into karis lavert who slots into that starting lineup really nicely. Now you have a lineup with Brogdon, Lavert, Warren, as you mentioned, when he's back and fully healthy, Sabonis and Turner. That is a team to be reckoned with in the Eastern Conference. And I, I'm honestly thinking about, I know Philly is has had a great start to the season, but Cole, is Indiana now like the second best team in the Eastern Conference or like right on par, possibly with like Brooklyn and Boston? Yeah, I think they definitely are competing for that top spot in the conference with this addition. Um, I was on the flip side of our, our discussion about the Pacers in our preseason podcast. I thought they would kind of go backwards a little bit. Um, the coaching chain seems to have worked for them. They're playing through Sabonis more, which is kind of defined everybody and everybody else. I mean, Miles Turner role. So him and Turner are finally co coexisting, which is great for them. Um, I think credit to Indiana for not letting the Oladipo situation get to the Harden situation. That's kind of why I thought they would take a step back. I thought that would kind of take on its mini, take on a mini Harden type saga and kind of hurt that team. Um, but it hasn't. And now they've cashed in on Oladipo, like you said, for a, uh, for a player that seems to fit better culturally and from a play style standpoint. So I think, I don't know, if I'm a Victor Oladipo, I'm kind of kicking myself. I just got traded off the top four team in the East. Uh, for a guy who's taking my role like pretty much immediately who the team probably likes better already so like yeah you got your wish but it has to be seen as a slap in the face to some extent too if you're Victor Oladipo but what do I know um, but yeah I think they definitely push Boston uh, especially with Kemba's health situation currently and I, I don't see them you know they already give the Sixers fits so I, I definitely see them you know contending in the Eastern Conference.
I, I think the last thing that we can really pull apart from this trade before we start getting into the, the main point of what this podcast was going to be, which is going through um, the six through tens on our big boards for, for the 2021 NBA draft, um, is Andre Drummond is likely going to be a target now um, mm. more than he probably was going to be because of Jared Allen going to Cleveland. So does the long-rumored Andre Drummond to the Boston Celtics trade happen, which that would really make things interesting in, in the Eastern Conference? What are some of your thoughts on that, Cole? Yeah, Drummond is definitely a game-changer for the right team. And so, I mean, if he goes to Boston and they get Kemba back, that's you're, I think you have to put Boston back on top, especially with the way Brown and Tatum continue to play right now. Yeah, Brown and Tatum to me. Um, I, I understand what Kawhi and Paul George have done for the Clippers. They're they're up there. But I think just in terms of where we're at across this first stretch of games, to me, at least I think Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have probably been the best wing tandem, to, to my, my personal opinion, in the NBA so far. Um, Kawhi and PG will probably overtake that thrown by, by season's end and still have a, a grip on it. But that that's at least to my personal ranking I think they have been so spectacular especially Jalen Brown I've, I've always been a big Jalen Brown guy um, ever since he was coming out of Cal I thought there was a lot of potential there for him to be um, a secondary creator a ball handler um, a, a, a potential playmaker for for others that was something that he really didn't get a full chance to showcase at Cal but when he was coming into the draft you heard some people talk about behind the scenes, at least when I was talking to some other scouts at the time, that um, some of the things he was doing in practices, like he was literally taking over those lineups as a point guard. So when you have somebody that intelligent, that athletic, that prone to scoring the basketball, as well as being able to um, live unselfishly and, and make plays for others, that, that's a full package of his size at the wing spot. So um, he's he's finally really living up to some of that billing as the number three pick. Obviously, we know how good Tatum is. So if, if they got Drummond, um, holy cow. Like, I, I can't even imagine some of the damage they would do. Yeah, and Tatum and Brown are both available all the time. Like, they play games. Kawhi and Paul at this point, they're not. When they, when they do play and they want to play, they're, you know, they're, they're balling hard. But – Tatum and Brown are at it every night right now. They're just at that point in their career. So I can, I can back you up on that. I agree. In, in, in important fact, the best ability is availability. So yeah, that, that, that's a motto that we have to live by. So um, with that being said, like I said, it, it, very interesting trade. More is obviously still coming out. We don't have quite all the details yet, as Kevin mentioned. So um, I, I'm sure that by the time this podcast goes live, there will be some things that we didn't get to, to discuss, maybe some small details, but we, we got pretty much the full picture here again. James Harden going to Brooklyn is potentially a game changer for the Nets. We got to see how the depth situation plays out. We love it for Indiana. That certainly gets a high grade. Um, in the short term, at least this season, Cole, do you think that Brooklyn is the definite winner of the trade, or do you think Indiana can end up being the short-term winner when it's all said and done? I think Indiana can because I think their um, integration process will be a little bit more seamless. Uh, I think, you know, like I said earlier, I think uh, Levert really does fit the Pacers' play style already. And, I, and from a character standpoint, he just seems to fit wherever he goes. So I think it'll be Indiana in the short run. I, it could be even the long run, depending on how Harden and Kyrie and KD all get along. That, I, that does still remain to be determined. I feel the same way. I feel the same way, man. Those are those are like some of my first thoughts when when I was reading some of the terms on on Twitter. I really thought in, Indiana is going to come out ahead, and 
You know, if we got an Indiana Pacers team in, in the NBA finals, potentially, I wouldn't be mad about that. That no. Those guys work hard. They've been a great organization for forever. Um, and, and especially with that new head coach is putting everybody in the places that he is to succeed. Yeah, um, I yeah grew up, that's a story I've heard for. I grew up loving those uh, Jermaine O'Neal, Jamal Tinsley, and Reggie Miller teams. Wow, you want yeah, you want to talk about some throwback squads. Yeah. <laughs> that that certainly does that. All right. So let's get into the, the real mean potatoes of what this podcast was going to be. Um six through ten on our twenty twenty one NBA draft big boards. Now, Cole, you and I pretty much got along um <laughs> for, for on, on one through five. We really didn't have many differences. I, I kind of figured at some point, whether it was going to be the six through ten section or when we got to the third pod in the series, 11 through 15, at some point we were really going to deviate. So our, 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 that time has come sooner rather than later, and I'm pretty excited to get into some of the guys um, on this list. So um, starting at number six, Cole, you have Moses Moody as your sixth best, best prospect. I have Jalen Johnson, number six on my board. Um, so why don't you make your case for Moody Cole, since I do have him in this top 10, and then we'll we'll get into Jalen Johnson a little bit since I don't believe he made your, your top 10 this time around. Sure. So, uh, and, and Moses plays tonight, so Moses, you better go out there and back me up a little bit. Um, but having said that, uh, I think what I like so much about Moses Moody right now is that we already know that he's a lethal shooter. Um, the guy, if he's given any kind of daylight at all, he's knocking it down. Uh, he's hitting two threes a game on five five attempts a game, which is really impressive. Um, so he's already got that down in his game. And I think what people are concerned about is that he doesn't have much uh, game with under the arc. But I think that's um, only, only a matter of the fact that he's 18, and that's much younger than most of these other guys that we're going to be talking about uh, on this list and even when we, when we get into future episodes of the podcast. A lot of these other wing uh, high-end wing talents in this draft are already 19 and going to be 20 long before right around when this when Moses is turning 19. So I think he's going to develop that inside the art game. He already shows flashes and flash and potential flashes and potential of it, excuse me. And beyond that, I think he's also got a great feel offensively uh, as a passer and a playmaker. So he, they have him run uh, offense out of the elbow from time to time as a pick and roll threat. Uh, he can make great passes on his drives. He's always keeping his head up. He's got great vision. Uh, so I think he's a total package offensively in time, and I think it happens rather quickly. Uh, and I don't want people to underrate uh, his ability offensively be just because they see him knocking down jump shots, and that's all they see right now. I think there's much more for Moses Moody. Um, sort of the same thing you said about Jalen Brown a moment ago, just the way he intelligently reads the game. I think there's more to come based off that and a number of other things like his age. Uh, and his length. So I'm, I'm fully in on Moses Moody and uh, I think six is appropriate right now. And he might get a spot higher or two for me, as long as the numbers stay up, stay up where they are. Um, but yeah, give me, give me what you think about Jalen Johnson. So before we, we get to Jalen Johnson, I guess I'll just kind of respond um, to, to Moses Moody. So I have him number nine on my big board right now. He, I, I, we, you and I discussed on the pod that he made a top 10 case for himself already. I agreed with it at that point. Um, I, I see where you're coming from as far as having him number six. We went over some of the numbers the last time we brought him up on the pod. Um, a lot of those numbers pretty much haven't changed. He's still in the 90th percentile according to Synergy by total offense. 
the 91st percentile in half court offense. Um, and and there's, there's basic counting numbers across the board, almost 17 points per game, um, close to six rebounds a game. Th- those are really good for, for someone who's likely going to be a guard at his size, likely going to play the two, the off guard spot. Um, the slash line, again, 46% from the field overall, 40% from three, 81% from the free throw line. What, what more can you really ask in terms of an efficiency standpoint? He's a young player, as we've talked about his age multiple times. He's someone, though, who still understands how he needs to impact the game and and what he needs to do to take advantage of what he does well on the court. He doesn't necessarily try to do too much all the time. Um, Now, my main concern, as you kind of highlighted, and something that I've, I've seen a little more rampant in his last few games is his inability to create a shot for himself inside the arc off the dribble now i'm not going to say inability to create a shot attempt inside the arc period because he's still shooting almost 51 percent on two-point attempts overall and a big reason why he is is because he's finding ways to crash the offensive glass make a hustle play when somebody else isn't necessarily making one Um, he rates out just fine in transition Um, he's pretty much good through excellent in every offensive category by synergy, except for um, like running off screens, which is fine. That that's something that he can get better at and something that I think he will get better at because of his shot mechanics being so sound as you and I have talked about before. Um, So it's not that he can't score inside the arc, like some of these other prospects that we can talk about in this class. It's just off the dribble. He, he, he's not really like that, that shifty kind of guard that is, is like slithery and getting around people. Um, he doesn't really have the tightest of handles. He doesn't really have a lot of variety to his handle. So that is something that he's going to struggle with early on. But the best point you made, Cole, um, you, you, can't, you can't talk about it enough, is how young he is and how much better he can still get with some of those ball skills. What, what I will say to that, though, as just like a slight counter argument, is I think w- when you evaluate guys who mainly have the ball in their hands and operate out of the guard positions, guys who you would expect to be able to create at a high level in the NBA. Usually that's something that comes more from natural talent more often than not. So I'm not quite sure how much better he can get at those things. Maybe you have a different opinion on that in terms of what his player development could look like at the next level, but some of that ball handling wizardry, some of that shot creation, in more cases than not, I've found over the years that you kind of either have it or you kind of don't, which is fine. And he's still going to be a high level role player in the NBA. At least that's how you and I feel about him. If we're looking at like a potential worst case scenario for him, but if he doesn't expand those parts of his game, then how high really is his ceiling. And that's why I haven't necessarily co-signed putting him as high as number six. That's why I have him at nine, but still on the top 10 on my board. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, see, I get that his handle is a little limited right now, but I actually like where it's at for, again, his age and his length. I mean, I feel like we've talked about a number of these kids in the past where he, they're the same length and they don't have even close to a handle like his. Um, and with that said, when he does drive and he takes contact, I don't think he loses the ball that much. So I feel like he's built to handle contact when he gets to the lane. Uh, maybe not in the NBA just yet, but he will get there as he continues to bulk up as a professional. Um, I wrote this down earlier. I think he's not a true shot creator yet. That's apparent, but I think he has shot makers touch. So I think 
as soon as he figures out all the different ways he can score on the floor, his touch is going to show up. I mean, like he's so long, he can just shoot over the top of guys. Uh, I don't know. I think I've, I see him being able to figure out how to score in just about any way possible. I think he'll bulk up to the point where he can put guys smaller twos on the post um, and turn around and fade over them. So I think I have a little bit more of a long-term picture with Moody, and I'm mm-hmm. really geared up really geared up for what he might show the second half of the season. Which is fine, and, and it's perfectly reasonable to have more of a long-term take on these prospects because that's how that's exactly how you should evaluate somebody right like you can't you can't just evaluate a prospect thinking what they're going to do in their first season and if their first season isn't going to look picture perfect as to what you think it should look like that doesn't mean you necessarily give them a lower grade some guys just take more time in terms of seasoning and that's just the way that it is but if the if the prospect can offer as much of a base floor as somebody like moody can then it absolutely justifies having a higher grade on him and that's why i'm not going to completely disagree with where you have him if he starts showing a little more flashes of what he can do with the ball in his hands in the second half of the season that can absolutely change and move up my evaluation overall i just haven't seen maybe as much in that aspect as you have Cole and that's perfectly fine this is big board 1.0 I'm not I'm not opposed to making any changes as any at any point in the season if I see enough evidence by the film um, along with obviously some of the numbers but numbers aren't everything it's mainly about a lot of film study for me so um, that that's a really good case to have on Moody I think that you and I have made multiple sound cases for why he should be a top 10 prospect regardless of the number ranking that you and I have him on our boards right now and he's definitely going to be somebody that we're going to keep talking about uh, moving forward through multiple podcasts after the big board series so we'll, we'll definitely have some more say on him my, my case for for Jalen Johnson at number six a lot of these cases that we're going to make today Cole you and I both agree they're not really going to be numbers-based cases these are these are really cases you have to make based on what your eyes are telling you and what my eyes tell me about Jalen Johnson is he hasn't had a lot of playing time yet because of that foot injury he's only played in a handful of games for Duke so far but what he's shown in those games is that when he has the ball in his hands particularly in transition he he can be a nightmare he's 6'9 220 pounds he's a house when he's running the floor and, and I don't know how many guys really want to get in front of Jalen Johnson. He, he, the biggest thing for me is his two point shooting. He's, he's shooting 56% from the field overall, but his touch around the basket is superb. He has that finisher's touch that you're looking for in somebody who's primarily going to score around the basket in those situations, whether it's off the dribble, whether it's maybe getting a post up on somebody, whether it's shooting a little bit of a fade away um, from, from like seven to 10 feet away from the basket. But you, you can go through and, and, and talk about guys who have been downhill finishers, but they don't have like that touch. Like Ben Simmons is a prime example for me, Cole. I'm sure you, you might be able to agree about this at some point where he's a skilled He's a skilled finisher around the basket just because of his overwhelming size and his speed to be able to get to his spots and then deal with contact when he gets there. But just like that pure touch, I I wouldn't say he has any kind of shooter's touch around the basket. Like I'll see him try and like do some of these hook shots or some of these layup finishes and he'll just completely botch the layup when he shouldn't be, when he really doesn't have much contact to make in front of him. So I don't see that issue with Jalen Johnson. I think he's probably one of the best finishers in all of college basketball right now when he's actually around the rim. 
Um, now, granted, the, the biggest question marks are going to come from his, his outside shooting, his three-point shooting in particular. I really don't have that many issues with his stroke mechanically. I think he could actually stand to um, certainly improve the arc on his jump shot. I think at, at times that where I've seen him shoot it off the catch, he's been a little flat on his jumper and and obviously some of those mechanical concerns in terms of natural arc on his shot have made have been made apparent at the free throw line he's only shooting 50 percent from the free throw line um and that that's something i would like to see more from him too is finding ways to get more free throw attempts he was only taking two a game in these handful of games that he's played but um he he's certainly been efficient when he's had the ball in his hands i guess the main argument that you can make against him besides um, some of the shooting that you might want to go over, Cole, is he his awareness for for the game that he was touted coming out of high school as maybe this like point forward like guy who's going to be able to set up others, uh, potentially run your offense as like this big playmaker. I don't see that kind of awareness from him on offense or even on the defensive side of the ball. I think he's lacked, but. When he's gotten the opportunity, he's still put up numbers through nothing but pure talent. And that is always something that stands out to me because if you want to look at somebody, right, and, and, and this goes more from like a character perspective, if you've heard them enough in interviews, if you're someone who's in the game, who's gotten to talk to him enough, and you know that he's a hard worker and he wants to keep improving at the game, there are things that you can pick up from from practices, from certain drills with better trainers and, and player development coaches, from just studying and watching film constantly. There's ways that you can improve your, your on-court awareness, at least to a certain extent, if the natural talent and the work ethic are there to back it up. Jalen Johnson, to me, checks both of those boxes. And when you think about the kind of playmaker he can be on both sides of the ball, his finishing package, his improving jump shot, I think there's a lot of untapped potential there. But I see some of the concerns that people have because we've watched players who just want to bulldoze into the lane like, like Giannis or Ben Simmons, not necessarily comparing him in terms of where I think he's going to end up to both those guys, but people certainly have had their hesitancies evaluating a prospect like that, seeing this kind of success that they haven't had at least yet in the postseason, um, taking somebody with that high of a draft pick. So um, I guess too long didn't read. I'm high on Jalen Johnson. I like hmm. him a lot. I liked him um, coming into the college season. Cole, why didn't he make your top 10? And what are your general thoughts about Jalen Johnson from what you've seen so far? Yeah, so he'd be right at 11 for me right now. So I like Jalen Johnson, and for many of the reasons you just stated, such as character and just the sheer willingness to desire to improve. And I, I love his on-court character, too. Like the dude is just juiced up all the time and trying to make every play he possibly can. So he needs to try and find how to dial that in a little bit and how to walk the line of being juiced up and making those count, making that count in the right moment and not being a bonehead at times and like just like kind of running into everything on both sides of the ball, which he can do at times. Um, so I think, yeah, just learning how to read the game a little bit better and slow things down and, and just knowing that he doesn't need to give 2000% on each and every play, but you still don't want to take that out of him. It's just more of a like read the game a little bit better type thing. Um, and I agree. I don't think he's going to be running your offense uh, anytime soon. I, I like what he can do. If he can grab a board and, you know, the floor or spread, um, and he can take it up, no problem. But I don't think you want him doing that and just like running the offense over and over again. 
So I think that was one of my big concerns, especially since he was billed that way, like you said. Um, and then I, I think my main concern is that he just doesn't show much from the perimeter yet. Um, I don't think he's all that shifty on his drives. I think it's a lot of power. And as you pointed out, who wants to get in front of this kid right now? I mean, like, especially at the collegiate level. Um, but he's definitely just a, a very power driver right now in my eyes. Um, but like you said, the touch around the rim is very, very, uh, very nice. And Ben Simmons definitely could stand to learn something from Jalen Johnson <laughs> in that department already. So uh, I agree. I just and I, and I need to see it more from him. Part of my concern is that he's dominated Coppin State and nobody else. Um, so I, I, it's more of a wait and see for Jalen Johnson for me. I, I like the package of skills and the attitude, uh, you know, the body, and I see the potential. I just need to see uh, some on-court performance a little bit more. Which is fine. That's an absolutely fair approach to have. Um, one one other comment I'll make about Jalen Johnson, and you can feel free to agree or disagree with me on this. Cole, I don't know if it's a Duke thing or, or what, but defensively, he, he kind of suffers from the Zion Williamson um, syndrome defensively. And what I mean by that is that he's, he's ranked on synergy below average in total defense, despite what the eye test tells me about his defensive upside. Obviously, as you mentioned, he's always wanting to, to make a play, whether that's play a passing lane or go up for one of those Skywalker blocks that he's already shown <laughs> that he can pull off like Zion, the completely volleyball spiking it into the stands. But the, the awareness, or may, maybe it's not as much of an awareness issue. Maybe it is more kind of like in Zion's case, Zion is one of the smartest prospects I've seen um, entering the NBA. The kid, the kid is a, a potential basketball genius, but he was definitely a little over exuberant in terms of wanting to make that home run play and not necessarily playing defense within a team concept. So where, where, where do you fall uh, on Johnson's defense overall? What do you think about the, the point that I just made there? Yeah, he could be trying to, you know, just emphatically make some highlight reels. I mean, he's got the, the tools and I think the aptitude and wherewithal to really sit down and defend when he needs to. So I think right now, yeah, he might just be trying to have a little fun with it, make some big blocks, and he knows two years before him was Zion and all that stuff. He's a kid, man. Uh, I think defense, <laughs> as long as he's not a complete idiot on defense, I don't really, I can't hold it too much against most of these guys, honestly. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Um, moving on to number seven, uh, you have Corey Kispert on your board at number seven. Now, you and I have both, um, gushed over him so the floor is yours in terms of if you want to make the full case for him or not but I guess my question to you Cole before we we go into who I would have at number seven um, thankfully Josh Christopher is on both of our boards so we'll be able to have a good conversation about him but why Kispert at number seven that's probably the case that I would want you to make Cole right so yeah, Kispert at seven is tough I even have to stop myself for a second um, but I think right now for me it's just based on it's not based on individual uh, overall potential talent in the sense that Corey Kispert, you know, is not going to take over a game in every which way possible like some of these other kids have the potential to do. Uh, I just think it's the fact that he's so ready to go and he's so he, he's so good at what every team needs, which is shooting. Um, you know, 28 of 30 teams are probably going, uh, probably see Corey Kispert as an upgrade in, as their shooting guard. Uh, so I don't see how teams would want to pass something like that up at this point. Um, given how the NBA is played and, and given that the season is going to be a little funky, we might even see some weird teams in the lottery that shouldn't be there. And they're going to be like, yeah, we need a guy that spaces the floor like tomorrow. 
Mm -hmm. We might see Corey Kispert get picked, but this isn't a mock draft. This is more about an evaluation. Again, I just think he's he's that much of a lethal shooter and spa uh, floor spacer, uh, and he's shown some improvement with his with the ball in his hands uh, so far this year. That maybe there's a little bit more. Um, he's a, an appropriately aged senior. He's 22 in March, so I think you know I definitely don't think the cement is dry on him in terms of both body improvement and game improvement. So I, I think with such a strong floor there, and maybe a little bit of untapped upside, I think it's, you know, I think he, he deserves to be in the top 10 somewhere. Yeah, there, there's not a ton more to get into about Kispert right now. Obviously, when, when you and I talked about him last on the pod, we, we knew that he was flying up people's boards and for good reason. Um, his performances, his his efficiency, his numbers have just been too damn good to keep him down any further than the lottery, at least in our opinions at this point. Our question at, at then was, how high is he going to end up rising throughout the season? And I guess the the only thing I'll leave you with, Cole, and you can respond to this, is I was listening to Chad Ford's um, new podcast the other day with, with John Hollinger, and, and Hollinger made a great point that, that made me stop and think a little bit. And the point was that if you took a look back at evaluating for the 2020 draft class, right, if Kisper would have stayed in from on the majority of evaluators boards, right, like major consensus probably had him in like the late 30s to early 40s. Maybe you found like an outlier or two who had him in the first round or whatever the case may be, but they certainly didn't have him as high as he's likely sitting on boards now. So if you take a look from a junior to a senior season, right? Where usually prospects don't necessarily add that much to their games from like a junior to senior year leap. It's usually an improvement on efficiency and just getting better at what you already do to make a better case for yourself for the next level. So what is it that Kispert definitely did to justify that great of a quantum leap. Cause we're talking about a potential, like a 20 to 30 spot leap. Um, I know that you liked him going into the 2020 draft call. You and I talked um, at, at length about how we thought that Kispert was going to be a, a very useful NBA player one way or the other. But if I would have had to evaluate him for 2020 and have him um, among my graded top 60, he probably would have been in the early forties for me. So that is a drastic jump that I can literally talk to. We're talking about like almost 30 spots. So what, what are your kind of thoughts on, on Hollinger's questioning of his meteoric rise in this draft class? Definitely a fair question. And it's, it's one to examine the rest of the, the rest of the way here. Um, does, has he added enough to his game to really warrant the rise that people are, are seeing and saying, I think so. I think I think his range has extended without sacrificing accuracy. He's playing four less minutes a game and he's scoring eight more points a game. That's kind of crazy. Um, yeah, I think that shows that he's he's able to score in a few different ways now too, and that he can get to the rim. His foul rate is up slightly, so he's definitely doing just a little bit more all over the court. And you throw in the fact that his team and he are comfortable with him shooting from thirty plus out, then you know. Why not? And other and NBA more NBA teams are becoming comfortable with their players doing that. So I don't know. I think it's more of about like where the league is going and what he and how he just so seamlessly fits in right now. Oh, the NBA is absolutely letting anyone and everyone just just let it fly, man. That that's right. that's pretty much like the slogan for yeah. for today's NBA. And I can't I can't disagree with with the point that you made. You and I talked about it already on the previous pod that, that, that we discussed Kispert, that 
adding that element of being able to just take somebody on a straight line drive and either finish around the basket or draw a foul, just being able to attack those closeouts and, and not have to worry about him doing so. That's what separates a guy like a Kyle Korver, someone who I compare him to very favorably. That was something that he could do in the NBA and you didn't necessarily have a lot of worry, at least in his younger days. Whereas somebody who's looked at as being this like elite, like three and D guy, like a Robert Covington, like I'm like gasping every time he tries to take somebody off the dribble or like finish around the basket on a layup. Cause that's just not, it just hasn't been a fluid part of his game. But if you get him in open floor situations where you can just catch and launch from three all day, then certainly what he brings to the table on that front, along with his defensive impact, then, then you're talking about a much more um, NBA package as far as how enticing that is. So I, I agree. I, I think he's definitely done more and shown more this season um, but that is going to be a question that I want to monitor as this season continues, as our evaluation process will wind down in the coming months from now and see if we can answer that question um, justifiably so. Definitely. Talk to me about Josh Christopher. <laughs> so, so Josh Christopher at, at number seven, I did not have him here a few days ago, but I, I made the jump on him, man. And I, I know that he's a guy that, I guess at one point at the start of the year, you probably liked him more than I did. Um, uh, kind of coming out of high school, I, I didn't really see the the nuance to his shot creation and his shot making ability that I think you did. I did think that he was a little bit of a jack um, coming out of high school, but I think you and I have both seen now that that's not the case with him. He actually picks and chooses his spots incredibly well. He's certainly the best mid-range creator off the dribble that I've seen in this draft class who's actually played meaningful games. We'll see what Jalen Green has to say about that, and even Jonathan Kuminga to an extent when we see more of the G League Ignite film as we discussed last week. Um, but his numbers across the board, almost 17 points per game, five rebounds a game, um, 45% from the field overall, 87% from the free throw line. All of those numbers check out, um, and, and he's shooting fifty, almost 55% on two point shots. So pretty much anything inside the arc, he's converting at a high clip and he's taking and being involved in a lot of offense for that Arizona state team, especially um, in recent weeks with Remy Martin, not available to play. So he's had to burden a lot of responsibility as a freshman and he's done so pretty effectively. And one number that I really like that stands out to make a case for his ability to handle a high volume of offense um, is he's only averaging just under two turnovers a game. Now, you might look at his assists and say he's only averaging 1.2 assists, so that's a negative assist-to-turnover ratio. How does that factor in as much? Well, he's also taking, um, I, I don't have the number in front of me, but he's taking at least like 12 or 13 shots a game. So he's, he's converting shots at a high enough level. He's not turning the ball over an egregious amount in terms of the number of shots he's taking along with some of the passes he's making. So he's pretty much been in control. Like I don't see him do a lot of dumb things with the ball in his hands. I don't see him taking a lot of too tough shots off the dribble when he's creating something. It's usually a few quick dribble moves and then he's created enough space to be able to get that shot off with, with relative ease. So as I've kind of talked about um, when we were talking about Moody, some of these guys just either have the shot creation ability 
and they're going to be able to do that at every level or they don't. There is a true natural aspect to that. And Josh Christopher definitely has it. And when we want to talk about guys with upside um, who, who can be shot creators at the next level, not necessarily just like role players who just stand there and wait for a ball to, to catch it and shoot it. It's tough to find those guys who can do it at an efficient level. And Christopher could potentially be one of those guys, which is why I personally have him seventh on my board. Now, the biggest drawback for him is that he's not a natural, he's not a natural catch and shoot guy for everything that he can do, creating looks inside the arc. He's only shooting 22% from the three-point line. Um, he, he's below average and poor in spot-ups and, and shots off screens, um, but he's good to excellent everywhere else on the floor. Um, shooting 46% isolation sets. Um, and then when you couple everything he can do, creating shots offensively with his defense, he's in the 92nd percentile in overall defense, according to Synergy. So that really stands out to me as well. You know you're going to be getting a two-way contributor for Christopher. You and I talked about this a little bit off the air before we started recording the pod. I guess you can kind of expound upon more of your thoughts for the audience uh, when I ask you this question. But to me, he feels like the Lonnie Walker type prospect in this draft class, somebody that you and I have both gushed over. Now, obviously, he's not that level of pure athlete. He's not that floaty type of athlete, right? But everything else that you look at as part of his game in terms of his shot creation ability, um, his ability to make shots from almost anywhere on the floor, um, everything that he does to contribute, potentially locking somebody up defensively, where he's at statistically in this point of the season compared to where Alani was at the same point in the season, Josh Christopher, you can absolutely make the case that he's a more complete prospect. Um, so what are kind of your thoughts about that? What are your thoughts on Christopher overall, Cole, given where you have him on your board? Yeah. I mean, I, I still like Christopher very much. Um, I think I have him down a little bit further in my top 10, just based off the inconsistency from the perimeter um, and being a two or three, probably a two in his case, like you need to be able to shoot the three um, at this point. So, uh, but I do agree. I, I love that how much offense is run through him with, and how little he does turn the ball over. So that, that does definitely tell you something about his ability to not make terrible decisions and not force things uh, when, you know, when the, the play breaks down. Um, as far as him being the Lonnie of this draft, uh, you know, I kind of re rebuked you off air when I first read that, but <laughs> I, I still, I still don't know. I felt like Lonnie was far more three and D in college and I and didn't have the refined uh, ability to score uh, around the basket and, you know, sort of in the mid range as well. He would be like more of like a one, two pull up, one, two dribble pull up in the mid range and, and get the, the shot off. Cause he was so athletic and could get by people. But Christopher has to use like some savvy and some dribble moves, um, you know, to get his looks. So I think, you know, you and I have also tossed around, tossed out like Demar and like T.J. Warren. He's a little smaller than T.J. Warren, obviously, but just sort of that like scoring package in the mid range and down um, seems to be more fitting for me for Christopher. But he does contribute more on defensively already. So I don't know he's very he's very interesting like that. Usually these guys don't contribute on defensive on defense right away in college because they are asked to do so much offensively. Um, I, I think it's a positive that he went to Arizona State. Like Bobby Hurley's not going to take nonsense from a kid who's just going to jack up shots. Um, so I think that was a good choice by him, and I think it's been a mutually positive um, relationship for the for the both of them. Like uh, without Christopher, where would Arizona State be this year? And Bobby Hurley's probably taught him, you know, how to rein it in just a little bit. 
um, from his high school days. So I think it's been good. I think Christopher will continue on that track as well, as long as the right organization takes him. Yeah, and, and he's certainly somebody that you and I agree on as being a top 10 grade. You don't really see that a lot of other places. That's not the kind of buzz I'm getting on Christopher. If anybody has Christopher as a lottery grade, it's, it's been like late lottery, at least from what I've seen to this point. So he's definitely somebody that deserves um, a little more praise and a little more buzz as a top 10 guy, because I think by season's end, um, I don't think we're going to be in the minority on that. I think we're, we're probably going to be in, in more of the overwhelming consensus um, as people get more games of his under their belt, as the season continues, if he gets to potentially make an impact in March Madness. I know that you and I aren't, aren't big March Madness evaluators when it comes to the draft, but among the general public um, and among some other scouts out there, that is a major exposure time where, where people get access to a wider range of prospects on bigger stages. So it, it does matter for the people who are driving a lot of the hype trains and, and maybe getting these guys into higher spots and having some of these general managers and executives reconsider where they sit on some of these guys. So I think he is somebody who's going to climb. You and I already pretty much have him as a top 10 grade. I think for me, I might consider him a lock um, top 10 at this point. I can't really see myself moving him outside of the top 10 at this point, just given some of the disappointments we'll say in quotes that we've had from, from some of the prospects in this draft class, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get into. Um, one of them's definitely coming up, but I'm sure we'll get into some of those other Kentucky guys, hint, hint, at, hmm. at pod, on podcasts moving forward. So um, moving on to number eight, you and I both have Scotty Barnes at number eight. Certainly an intrigue. Yeah, we, we agree on something, right? Um, <laughs> in, interesting 6'9", 227-pound forward prospect. Talk to me, Cole, because I kind of talked about him on, on a previous pod that you weren't on, um, and I made a, I made a case for him a little bit. Talk to me about your thoughts on Scotty Barnes and specifically why you have him on number eight. Yeah, so Scotty Barnes is probably one of those guys where, you know, we talked about earlier, where if you dream a little bit and everything comes together the right way, man, what, what can't he do on the floor? Um, he's not the most explosive dude, but I think that'll get a little bit better as he – continues to get older and trains better trains with professionals. Um, but he can have the ball in his hands. He can run, pick and roll. Um, he doesn't like have a go-to offensive move, but if he finds space, finds space and feels comfortable rising up, he will. And he doesn't look terrible doing it. Um, at least in the mid range. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot to like, he's got great vision offensively. I mean, like, again, he runs the pick and roll both as a shot creator for himself, getting to the rim and looking for others. Um, he's kind of like he's kind of got an old school vibe to him as well, but he still fits today's current NBA. I think just the way he kind of battles on the glass, he's great at holding guys off uh, and still getting like a hand on it to tip it to himself. I've seen him do that a couple times. So there's definitely some old school to him a little bit, but it still fits. Um, he's really interesting blend of skills at the six nine position. Uh, what do you think he needs to do the rest of the season to to solidify his position in the top ten? He, he, he needs to shoot the ball better. That, if, if we're just going to be flat out honest, his, his numbers need to come up. He's only shooting 47% from the field overall, 28% from three, 42% from the free throw line. Um, and we knew coming in that he wasn't going to be the greatest shooter um, or, or greatest scoring threat, at least not yet, right? And he doesn't necessarily have to be this amazing scorer to justify a top 10 draft selection. Um, but but I've, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, Scotty Barnes is not a point guard. Everybody feel, I feel like, 
I won't say everybody, but the majority of consensus that you see like on social media or just hearing TV personalities talk about this kid, they want to see him have the ball in his hands quite literally as much as possible. Not even just getting the ball in a half court set and then making a play from there um, in, in, in the mold of like a Draymond Green or something like that. I think Draymond Green needs to be the ceiling that Scotty Barnes shoots for. Like, like Draymond isn't a point guard. You can label him as a point forward, but he he isn't like constantly bringing the ball up the floor every single possession like they want to have Barnes do. Draymond absolutely thrives more um, in the pick and roll, more in the pick and roll than I've seen Barnes. Um, he's, he's certainly been a much better diver to the basket, and he's done more work out of the post. And that's something that I want to see Barnes definitely do more of and be used more in is getting his butt in the post, letting him draw double teams. He clearly has the vision to see other guys and, and make a play out of a double team. Um, and, and, and when you don't have him working more out of the post or just using him better inside in general, you're losing out on his physical advantage that he has over a lot of these guys. And you might look at him and be like, well, if he's this physical presence that isn't being tapped into enough, why isn't he rebounding the ball more? He's only averaging close to four rebounds a game. Well, that's because he's away from the basket all the time. He's always trying to do something from the perimeter. He's not leveraging his size to his advantage. And I think that's a total misuse of what he really should look to do. I think if he was more of an inside the arc player that necessarily uh, bring the ball up all the time, just stand around on the perimeter, try and only focus on his passing ability and his vision. Like, I, I don't know. I just, how do you feel about that call? Like, I just, I feel like he's being misused in a lot of ways. And I'm not quite sure if it's just how he wants to play or if it's the coaching staff, like this is how we think we need to use the kid. Yeah. Tough to say without being there um it, i do agree with you that he shouldn't have the ball in his hands full time that's number one on my list of notes here for him um but he is capable of you know running sets through the pick and roll mm -hmm. so that's but and I, I think that's very intriguing for a forward um uh, but i totally want to echo that he is not a point guard does not move like one um and he <laughs> does not score like one so yeah, he, he's going to have to figure out his offense for sure. And I think it does come from being closer to the basket. Uh, one of the other things I wrote about him was like, just give, just take what the defense gives you. Uh, find, mm -hmm. your, find the soft spots, let your size and length work for you, and go score the ball that way. So I think that's how he needs to immerse himself in the NBA offense, let his other skills play off his teammates, because he can, he can be a glue guy for sure at the next level, almost, from, almost immediately, in my opinion, based off all the things he can do. Um, he's fine as a spot up shooter. I know his shooting in general isn't great, but he's, I think I saw he's like one, over 1 1.2 points per possession on spot up. So that's telling that he's fine with his feet set, at least for me. Um, no, I, I agree. I think, I think Florida state might be misusing him a little bit and trying to Patrick Williams him a little or something, but I'm not sure, uh, entirely. What well, one thing I will say about his offense, we could talk about how potentially inefficient he is. Um, he's still almost around a 20 uh, player efficiency rating. Um, he, he's certainly, when, when you talk about possessions plus assists in synergy, so that's factoring in the possession rankings that we could go through, plus his numbers when he's actually passing and, and getting the ball to a score, he ranks in the 81st percentile. So we can talk about his vision. We can talk about the types of play types that he's capable of being involved in at this point in his career. It's all impressive. There's, there's no doubt that, that he's a playmaker. He can pass the ball. Um, he just should be doing it 
more inside the arc than he is outside the arc. You and I are in agreement on there. Um, what do you think about his defensive package? Because he only rates out in the 48th percentile in total defense. Um, he's he's rates out very good in isolation sets, which makes sense because the guy is is massive. He's long. He can certainly cause somebody problems from a one-on-one standpoint. But when you want to look at his team defense overall in some of those concepts, he he does look a little lost at times. And that to me is is one of the other big things that's holding him back from being even further up my board. Like I, I, I'm pretty confident that he's going to remain a top 10 guy for me, but you asked right off the bat, what do I want to see from him to keep him in the top 10? We talked about his, his shooting numbers and his efficiency, but also defensively, I think he needs to be a more active presence, not just on the ball, but also off the ball. And maybe some of that still comes from being so perimeter oriented that even on the defensive end, he's not looking to play around the basket or, or help in those situations nearly as much as he should. Yeah, I'll have to to lock in on his his team defense next time I get a chance to watch Florida State. I will say that I don't think Florida State has had the rim protection they've had in years past, um, and I might be mistaken there with this year, but it could be a matter of fact they just don't have a good quarterback back there, and he's not that type of guy on defense to begin with. Um, it could be any number of things with team defense, but I have seen him be lost on occasion too, so it's probably it's probably a conglomeration of aspects, but he does lock people up when he's you know, when the guy in front of him has the ball and he's, he doesn't let many people score on him. Yeah, he, 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 that, that's definitely true about them not having like that overwhelming um, quarterback on the defense kind of protecting the rim. That's a very valid point and something that is important. So a lot of people don't realize that how important it is to be vocal on defense in terms of playing together, having that one guy who can see over everything to make those call outs and and kind of guide people to where they need to be. That's one of the most important things young big men learn, especially playing in college before they get to the NBA and something that definitely stunts their growth at the next level. So that could be a part of it too. I agree. Um, Scotty Barnes to me is just my, my last point, I guess I'll kind of make on him is that he is this guy in the draft class and we we usually have at least one every year who we can say has a lot of skills but it isn't necessarily a master of one like mm-hmm. he doesn't really have like that signature standout skill that that pops and is like okay if i drop him in the nba tomorrow like that's what i'm gonna have him do right like he he doesn't really have that to me i don't know if you feel differently on that point as we'll wrap up the scotty barnes talk no i'm in total agreement there he definitely doesn't have his go-to move i even think i said that off the top he just and why i think he just has to score based off what the defense is willing to give or give him in the early going in his nba career he's just going to have to find soft spots find his way to the basket and and convert that way and be available for spot ups but yeah i don't think he has a a single go-to move right now if i had to pick one fair enough um let's move on to number nine on on your big board so you have james booknight at number nine, as I mentioned earlier, I had Moses Moody. So we already talked about Moody. Let's get into Book Knight. Um, Book Knight is probably the one guy on this list that I haven't had the most familiarity with as far as watching a ton of film on him. But I've seen enough and, and kind of the thoughts that I shared with you off the air poll was that I saw him as, as maybe a guy who we thought we wanted Gary Harris to be, right? Like as Gary Harris has gone on his development track, um, from his two years at Michigan State, which is ironic because Book Knight's also a sophomore. Um, and, and then through his time with the Denver Nuggets, he's kind of plateaued off. Obviously, some of that has been due to injury, trouble, and concerns that he's had. 
but just his development. I mean, I kind of look at book night the same way as a prospect that I looked at Gary Harris when he was coming out of Michigan state. So Cole, I guess, talk to me about a lot of the things that you like about book night and make his case for him being at number nine on your board. Yeah, there's definitely some similarity there to, to Gary Harris. Um, I think he's even more of an offensive firecracker potentially. Uh, this guy is a nightmare to keep track of off the ball and he's not necessarily like a, it's not from a shooting standpoint, but he's willing to move off the ball and cut off screens and get the ball um, in short spaces and then attack the rim with his quickness and his, his uh, juice and his jump. So he's just a, he's a nightmare to, to guard in my opinion. Um, he's willing to pull up from anywhere on the court. It's probably the weakest part of his offensive game right now from an efficiency standpoint, but I don't think there's anything really wrong with the form and he gets good lifts. So I think he's going to be able to pull up over just about anybody uh, at a true six, four, six, five at that too. Um, then you throw in his defense where he's, you know, he's good on ball. He's active on team defense uh, and he does make some highlight real blocks every now and then. So yeah, I think he's a really nice solid little guard scoring guard. Um, he definitely looks to score first. Um, I, I've seen him pass up a number of open looks to teammates in transition and just in the half court set from time to time as well. And I'm just like, come on, man. Like you got to get your guys involved a little bit more. So that's probably my biggest knock on him is, is unwillingness to dish a little bit. But that said, I, I've seen it. I've seen his teammates not like hate him either. So they, they just had a, a pretty big win for their program the other day. And it was his worst game of the season, six points. But he was the first one, you know, he, he like was the first one to celebrate and hug the player of the game on his team, despite him having an awful game. And that became like the center of the team celebration. So I, I don't think he's a me first guy to the point of, of detrimenting the team or harming the team. So I think that bodes well for him going forward as being a score first guard uh, and carving out that type of role in, in an NBA offense. Yeah, and he's definitely going to be somebody I have more thoughts on as we go through the season. What I will say about him now is I'll speak to um, some of the character stuff that you just mentioned, but also when you're talking about off-ball awareness, both on offense and defense, he's up there with anybody else you want to look at in, in the country in terms of his basketball IQ and how he processes the game, not just from an individual standpoint, where clearly he's he's motivated to show that, that he can make shots in isolation. He rates out very good in isolation sets. But also off the ball, he does the little things that he has to to set himself up for, for easier looks than just trying to create by himself one-on-one -on -one all the time. Um, he rates out 72nd percentile in, in total offense, 73rd percentile in half-court offense. He's rated out excellent on cuts and very good on handoffs. So uh, as you talked about, his off-the-ball scoring is, is definitely something that NBA teams are going to key in on because teams are always looking for guys who buy into a team concept, who know how to get themselves open to score and not necessarily just have to have the ball in their hands, right? That That's a skill set that allows you to play on good teams in lineups with superstars, is being unselfish, knowing how to look for your spots and when, um, and not needing them to pass you the ball uh, to, to create something for yourself all the time. That's a skill set that definitely gets underlooked. It's something that a lot of these good teams that, that we could run through in the NBA, they're certainly looking for more of. So that, to me, I, I agree. That's why Book Knight's going to certainly be a lottery prospect in this class. I don't have him as high as you do. Um, I'm certainly going to have more thoughts on, on a more complete evaluation of his game for our next pod because he does fall in that 11 to, to, to 15 range for me. So I can't wait to talk a little more about Book Knight once I have some, some more film under my belt for this season. Um, going into our last prospect here my guy at number 10 is not in your top 10 um is zaire williams now 
he started out higher on my board than this, but has dropped. And quite frankly, I guess mm-hmm. the only reason why he hasn't dropped out of my top 10 is because he's had more moments this season where he has looked like the guy that I thought he could be than somebody like a Brandon Boston Jr., for example, who definitely would have been in this conversation um, like a month, month and a half ago. But his continued struggles at Kentucky that, like I said, we're going to highlight some of those on later pods in the series. Um, Zaire has had a lot of those same struggles. Now, Brandon Boston's been healthy. Zaire Williams was not healthy the entire part of the season. He was playing through some injury. So that's a big reason why he hasn't looked as explosive at times um, as he did at the start of the season, not as efficient. But you and I both said, man, some of these numbers are ugly. So he, he's averaging 12 points a game, six rebounds a game, three assists per game. But these shooting metrics, 36% from the field overall, 27.9% from the three-point line. He is making free throws when he gets to the line, 83% on a little over three attempts per game. But, man, 41% on two-pointers. He's taken almost seven shots inside the arc per game, um, a 12.1% player efficiency rating and a 47% true shooting percentage, 25th percentile overall in total offense. Holy cow, Cole. That, that does not, those are not the numbers that you would normally think of for, for a top <laughs> 10 pick. But like I said, he did have some of those bright spots, particularly in the Maui Invitational, where he was setting himself up for looks outside the arc, and he was canning everything with ease. Um, he was making plays off the dribble for others. I kind of floated out the idea of, is he definitely going to be more of like a, a potential lead guard creator at some point in the NBA as opposed to playing off the ball more in the wing because of his size? He's 6'8", but he's only 185. He doesn't have any bulk to him. I'm not quite sure how much more he's going to fill out. Um, so that definitely concerns me. What what I will say, and, and probably the, the biggest reason other than some of the flashes that he has been able to show, his defense has kept him in the top 10 for me uh, because he's in the 65th percentile overall in total defense is in the 97th percentile in pick-and-roll defense. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, So you know that even at the next level, if you put him in ball screen defense, you know that he's not going to be a liability there. And and given just how much the NBA relies on the pick-and-roll offensive set, that's definitely a plus for him. Um, He's excellent defending um, jumpers in the mid-range. He's not a train wreck around the basket, which surprises me just given the fact that I just pretty much laid on him about his size. Um, that that's also a positive as well. So he's a tough kid. He competes. He's obviously a smart kid. He's not just going to Stanford just to play basketball. He's certainly put in the work in in academics off the court. So he he reads the game at a high level. He understands it. He's just had efficiency concerns and the numbers don't look the best, but there is a second half of the season to be played. So Cole, we just laid out the numbers case, but in your opinion, why didn't he make the top 10 for you? And how can he possibly get back into your top 10 as the season progresses? So I'll add to the numbers thing real quick first. Uh, he's had two games of six turnovers already as well. So not <laughs> that's pretty hard to do in the in 10 or 11 games. That said, I agree with you in the fact that he has had moments where it's just like, holy cow. Uh, wow. Um, yeah this is a top 10 kid when he has those moments like the triple double from a couple nights ago. So the reason he didn't make my top 10 right now is because, and this is something you alluded to, Zaire Williams, the forward does not make my top 10, but if we want to put this kid at guard, which is where I think he does belong versus Scotty Barnes or some of these other kids, like even Cade, um, 
I think then it's a totally different discussion because to me, he does move like a guard. He glides all over the court um, and he's got the ability to like, you know, stop and pull up on a dime on any given moment and and raise up and shoot. Um, I think he wants to score from all over the court. He's just like you said, not efficient with it right now. So I would like to see him be used more of as a, as a guard, at least less as a wing and primary more as a primary ball handler going forward. I think that's what would, get him back into my top 10 is a true commitment to him being more of a, a guard forward type. Cause I don't think at six, eight and his body type, he's going to hold up as a wing uh, for very long in the NBA. He's already had some, some issues staying healthy this year. And I don't think his body lends itself to bulking up a ton. He sort of looks like the but a little bit taller. Um, so yeah. Do, do you think he should be going the guard route going forward? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And what I will say about that is that, if he can prove that going up against other guards, that he can be that much of a flamethrower, both his scoring ability as well as his playmaking ability combined from that spot, if he's worth going up against that matchups and, and leveraging more of the offensive responsibility in a role like that, then there are ways to create sets and design plays for him to get those matchups on guards where he can take advantage and go to work, right? Now, coaches aren't necessarily going to put that much effort especially into somebody who's going to be coming into the nba as, as young as he is coaches don't want to do that all the time um for for a young guy having to draw up this like oh well we got to get him on this type of player because if he goes up against like a three four with length he's probably not going to be able to make the same kind of shot or have the same kind of effect but if he can prove to be enough of a flamethrower going up against those guard matchups then i can absolutely see him being incredibly effective in the NBA. And I agree that's where he needs to be full time because he's, he's struggled against size at this level. That's probably not going to change. Sure. He can get stronger, um, but I'm not quite sure how that's going to change him going up against size um, in, in the NBA, even more than what he's going up against now. So I completely agree about him being on the guard route. I, I think that's the route he needs to go full time. Um, the, the, the question remains, will an NBA team actually value developing him at the guard spot, or is he going to drop down their boards as well because they all think that he's a wing and they don't really see a pure um, and a solid development path for him at like a three spot, for example. So I guess it's really going it, it's, it's to come down to how NBA teams evaluate him and, and, and what they see him being at. I think you and I are on the money with how we're seeing him and, and what he can do to, to still maintain or, in your case, earn a top 10 grade. So I yeah, think that I mean, pretty, yeah, go ahead. No, I just, I hope they see him as a guard because if, if he's a wing, like you really have to ask yourself, what does he do well as a wing to get him minutes on the court to, uh, you know, in his rookie year? I don't think he does enough. It's more of a ball in the hands. Like the way he play makes and sees the court and can grab the board and go. It's just like, I need, I would much prefer the ball in his hands, especially with his body type. Well, he, he has proven that he can be a, a deadly catch and shoot guy when he's locked in. So right. that's certainly a skill offensively. And I talked about um, the defensive numbers. He, he can do things on defense because of his length that will get him minutes as a rookie, despite what some of his offensive game looks like, right? Like if he can improve 
his efficiency enough on catch and shoot looks like the second half of the season and on. And that becomes a bigger part of the eval when you combine that with some of the things he can do, even from day one in the NBA defensively, then he becomes more of an enticing package to be able to earn minutes on the court and continue developing the other parts of his game, regardless of, of where an NBA team sees him. But yeah, you, you hope they see him as a guard. I hope they see him as a guard. We've seen examples in the past where we we've seen NBA teams miscast a position that a player should ultimately play at. And then you're talking about hindrancing that guy like years of development. Right. And, and it takes teams and the prospect in, in turn longer to figure that out. If he's stuck at the wrong position for enough amount of time, then he has to switch positions. And then you see something click. Well, usually even when he clicks, it's not nearly to the type of effect or potential ceiling that he had if he would have been pigeonholed somewhere else from day one. So I think our, I think our favorite example of this is Aaron Gordon. A- Aaron Gordon is our favorite example uh, <laughs> of this. I, I, I've thought for so long that he should be like a, like a small, I guess if you want to call him small ball center, sure. I don't really see Aaron Gordon as, as a small guy, but technically I guess that's how more people would classify those lineups than not as like small ball lineups where he's playing center. That's kind of what I've always seen him as where, where, where uh, it's a, that's a great question. Where, what do you think his long-term position should have been Cole? No, I mean, I agree now where the NBA is maybe when he was drafted, I don't know if I would have seen that, but um, given now and like, given that Vucevic does have a pretty good perimeter game these days, like, yeah, they should be playing a little bit more in and out with those two as the, the four and the five. Everybody wanted to cast him as like this Sean Marion type three. And right. I, I never really saw that. So you and I are, you he's and I are still, definitely in agreement. He's still so bad in ISO. Like he'll still try and bust a dribble move and pull up and air ball completely. <laughs> and it's just like, oh God. Yeah. The air ball, I clanked the shot off the backboard. We, we, we've certainly seen it at times, even in, in this Magic season, despite some of the early success they've had, uh, yeah. for, for sure. Well, that pretty much wraps it up for this week. We got through a lot of guys, Cole. I, I, I'm excited still to, to see who we can talk about next week. Um, for everybody out there listening, we certainly thank you for doing so. Um, make sure to follow us on social media. Follow the Twitter handle, at DraftDeeper. Like our page on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, the content's going to keep rolling out and rolling out, and it's going to keep getting better and better. So uh, I can't wait to dig into more of our big boards and, and move on to some other exciting series from there, like some rookie reactions at some point later this season. You and I are definitely going to have some fun with that, Cole. So um, thank you, everyone, for, for out there for listening again. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.